Hello and welcome to Indie Filmopolis, a podcast dedicated to indie film. I'm Philip Pugh, a filmmaker and indie film enthusiast. And I'm Mike Bourne, an actor, producer, director, someday. Uh, and general good friend to my, my pal, Philip Pugh, here. This episode of Indie Filmopolis, we're going to be talking once more about our own low-budget flick, Almost Enemy. And then we'll go through some reviews and recommendations for films like Jordan Peele's Us, uh, the short film Gone Fishing... And three low-budget features, Palacios. That sounds right. Okay, Good Kids and Ashes. Very quickly, before all of that, uh, we just want to give a quick but massive shout-out to our long-suffering and very patient Indiegogo followers. Thanks for sticking around. And if you found this podcast by other means, thanks for joining us, and we hope you stick around to hear the others. Episode 9, I believe it or not. Yep, so there's eight others that you can check out if you'd like to. Um, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. They're all out there. Or Just look at Indie Filmopolis. Uh, we'll give you the details at the end of the podcast. On to our film, Homeworst Enemy. Mike, do you want to give a little rundown of what Homeworst Enemy is? Homeworst Enemy is a film uh, about a young man called Andy. Oh, young. Stretching it a bit. Thanks. I'm sitting right here. And uh, <laughs> right here, people. Right here. And. Um, his imaginary friend, Mr. P, that turns up to torment him. That's the film in a nutshell. Yeah. And over the previous podcast, we've been talking in sections about uh, the pre-filming, the filming days itself, and other little bits. And we've come to Own Worst Enemies' only exterior day mm-hmm. that we did. Oh, um, the location was in safe Birmingham area. Yes. A beautiful area. And... Several things just came together that mm-hmm. day that made it a very hectic day compared to the sort of organised sectional days we used to have. That's right. This stood in quite stark contrast. Like you said, this was our only exterior day. So yeah. the entirety of the film doesn't just take place indoors. It takes place in one inside location. Yeah. To get outside was actually quite exciting because visually it was very different yeah. uh, compared to the rest of the film. And so, yeah, we had this... Um, exterior location which was really tough to match because we couldn't film the exterior of where we did the interiors for many reasons but one in particular that the interior was actually a converted coach house and not the bungalow as scripted as far as an interior it looked fine yeah. But as a, an exterior, it just wouldn't have worked. No, there's, well, there's several places that do that. I mean, mm-hmm. Hogwarts is filmed in about oh, yeah. 10 different locations around the country. And this is another call out to those Indiegogo uh, people that have put forward to this, because this was something we really wanted to do, uh, put um, a significant amount of the budget on. This was, this was supposed to be the, uh, the great piece that we wanted at the end. Absolutely. Even as a sort of an exterior location, it wasn't quite spot on was it because what it was yeah was we needed a bungalow like i said yeah. but because of how we'd filmed um the interiors we actually needed a specific exterior yeah definitely um so it had to be a, a single floor bungalow or house with windows on either side of a front door yeah windowed rooms sorry on either side of a front door which we couldn't find but what we did find was a place with a garage a door to the garage and a windowed room on the other side of the garage as part of the house. Yeah. And so we used that. And we, in post, we've had to mask out. You've seen it now, haven't yeah. you? We've, we've had to mask out the house and and create a sort of a fake facade 
on on this uh, location, but it works. Yeah, incredibly tricky. Well, I mean, how many other places you know have done that sort of thing? I mean, loads of places yeah. have done that. For for an indie film, no, it's um, well, yeah, it's, it's a big. But, but like you said, we wanted this mm -hmm. to be uh, have the ending that it wanted, including the cast. Yes. So we cast uh, two big famous names, uh, James and Oliver Phelps. Yes. Um, they're famous from the Harry Potter films for playing the Weasley twins. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really exciting to know you'd got them for this final day. Yes, Brummy actors, local local to us. Yeah. Um, they even said specifically they like supporting local work and mm -hmm. local film work out, so they were eager to, to do this, which was wonderful. So, how that all worked was fortunately friend and producer Nigel Davey, he um, had some connections with James and Oliver. And essentially, there were two policemen roles, yeah. and I'd already cast one with someone who we've worked with before, Carrie Keane, yeah. who you've worked with. Yeah, he's a film. And I was under the impression that one of the Phelps twins had stopped acting and wanted to go into production yeah. and was doing directing and producing and things. Yeah, he was talking about that. So when I was talking to Nigel about it, I said, I'm pretty sure one of them doesn't act anymore. So he goes, okay, well, I'll, <laughs> I'll find out which one and talk to... That particular brother. So he calls me up, quite excited, a few days later and said, you're not going to believe it, but James wants to do it. And I was like, oh, that's fantastic. Um, and we had a chat about everything we needed to make work and make, work it, make it happen. And I'm pretty sure if it wasn't the same day, it was the very next day, he called me up and he goes, you're not going to believe this, but I've just had a call from Oliver and he wants to be in the film. Wow. And I was like, um, okay, <laughs> that's, that's that's awesome, but we've only got one role. Um, we talked it through, and he was like, well, can't, can't we make it two roles? And I was a bit dubious, because I didn't, because they were policemen, I didn't want them to be twin policemen. It just would have seemed a bit weird, even though it's a weird film. There needed to be, at that point, as you all know, there needed to be like a bit of normalcy. Yeah. And having twin policemen... Would have thrown different things to the film, yeah. So we, we talked about it, and I said, well, what about if we make the one look completely different? Yeah. Give them a, a proper makeover so it was unrecognisable, and they don't play brothers, but they're just colleagues. Yeah. I think we might have talked about this before, but um, uh, he calls up James and Oliver, and they came back to him and said, yep, love it. We, they, we they really, really like the idea, idea yeah. of being able to work together but not having to play brothers or twins or whatever. Yeah. So that was cool for them. Then there was one sticking point, low-budget film. We'd yeah. budgeted this out, and I said, <laughs> um, you know, Nigel, we have only got money for to cast one person. And he was like, oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> so he went back to them, and, um, you know, God bless them. They came back, and they were quite happy to split the fee. So, oh, um, you know, thanks to them, good on them. Yeah. Um, and they um, they came along, and they, they were great. They were great, you know, was really really respectable guys really pleased to work with them yes you had a nice nice chunky scene with them oh, and you you, you the three of you bounced off each other really well um, yeah for that shows in the film I think it well you've seen that scene now it, uh, yeah. what do you think I love it yeah. I like it I but, really like it but they weren't the only stars that turned up that day no in a, in a very small cameo appearance we have um, Big Joe Egan and we do mean Big Joe Egan he's <laughs> He's known from the Sherlock Holmes films, um, uh, primarily that's where you'd recognise him from, but he's an ex-boxing champion, and he's a big lad. But when he came on set, he was as friendly as anything. I mean, he's built by, he's built seven foot by six, this guy. Uh, he could easily block out the sun. 
Um, but he's so, so nice, so nice. When he came on set, he, um, he went round to every cast member and every crew member that was out there, either working or just coming out to see him, and he shook the hand of every single person there, introducing himself, saying he was, he was really pleased to be there. But yeah, he was as soft as butter. Really, really wonderful guy. But he had this other guy with him as well, an American guy. He turned out to be his bodyguard. We had a nice chat. But it always surprised me that Big Joe Egan would need a bodyguard. You know, boxing champion, huge guy, yeah. could take down Godzilla. And he's got like this bodyguard. I mean, the bodyguard's well built, don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. 6'2", strong looking, very professional, but, uh, you know, half the size of Joe. Yeah. It, it always amused me a little bit that he would need one. Um, and that was another great casting suggestion from um, Nigel. Yeah. Because um, we'll get on to this in a minute, but it was supposed to be a sunny day. And what I had planned was essentially we needed some passerbys without giving too much away. And one of the passerbys I thought would help be um, a kid with an ice cream who that yeah. he could drop upon looking at um, something Sand, that you wouldn't see every day. Strange thing. Um, we just couldn't find. So we're struggling to find someone for that role and then Nigel, you know, always thinking outside the box, he said, well, what about if it's Big Joe and he comes along, because he, he knows um, Joe, Nigel and Joe know each other. He said, what about if it's Big Joe with an ice cream instead? <laughs> and I just burst out laughing. I was like, yeah, cool, that works for me. <laughs> um, but um, we had, talking about other cast members, we had cast members from Unworst Minutes. Unworst you Minutes. You mentioned it, uh, just called it. Oh, worst minute. Talking about cast members, mm. we had people from your previous film, One Minute. Right. Uh, of course, we uh, there's Gary Keeney you mentioned. Yes, yeah, t- t- tell us what, what. I know what it is. Tell us what One Minute is. You want me to tell you? Yes. As in the listeners? Yes. That's a very clever ploy. One Minute is uh, a film. Is it 60 minutes long? Am I right? It's, it's basically uh, a 60 minute film, and each minute is a film. But it's one minute long. So there'll be like the Western, there'll be the drama, there'll be um, nods to French cinema and horror and Newark remakes. I was, I was in so many, I can barely remember. Well, can you remember which was your favourite? I think my favourite was my very first one. Yeah. Yeah, which The was? Clockmaker's Apprentice. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, because I'd, this was my first like, proper filming day. Uh-huh. I turned up to set and... One of the funniest outtakes is when me and this other lady are throwing watches at each other and bounces off my head. It's a silent comedy. Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. It's a silent comedy, yeah, based on sort of Harold Lloyd, mm-hmm. Charlie Chaplin era. And um, all we can hear on the outtakes is you desperately trying to say cut, but you can't because you're laughing your head off. <laughs> it always um, amuses me when... Yeah, things unfold in front of your eyes. Like when you watch something, it's never as fun. But if it's like happening right in front of you, and say, like, you know, I've been having a conversation with you <clears throat> two minutes before about where you're going on holiday, yeah. holiday, and then all of a sudden you yell action, and then you and this other woman are lobbing stuff at each other. <laughs> and, uh, it's, uh, yeah, always a very surreal moment. Yeah. That was a great day. She was a really good actress. Yeah. So, yeah, so we, we made this collection of films before Almost Enemy and yeah this exterior day we had the opportunity to bring a few people back like you said Gary Keane and a couple of our um, in-betweeners we'll call them yeah. um, were from One Minutes as well so yeah it's good to get people back 
that's why that day it felt so much. There were so many people there. Were there were tons, weren't there? Yeah. About, like you said, about 30 to 40 people mm-hmm. all at one time. It was such a stark contrast. Yeah, so what was it like normally? Well, normally, I remember working with less than 10 people, be a couple, or maybe mm-hmm. one makeup person. You, There'd be you and the crew going off and setting a sit up, and then once you were ready, I'd come in because it was usually me acting off me most of the yeah. time. With Ivor in the background reading mm-hmm. off the script that I had to bounce off. And yet that day, where we were, the house was packed. You couldn't move for people mm-hmm. going in and out. Pizzas were everywhere. There was food laid out. Uh, people were in different rooms chatting to each other. And the irony was, we were nice and dry in the house. Mm-hmm. Yet outside, on the one day you needed it to be sunny. Mm-hmm. And it was drizzling. Yeah, so, so a big part of the film is this um, continuous weather rainstorm that goes yeah. on that plagues Andy's life. And not a single day when we did the interiors, like you said, did it rain. The the one day when we went outside when we needed it to be bone dry and even sunny, if that was yeah. at all possible. Um, but no. I remember people having coats draped over equipment sometimes, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've got, there's actually behind the scenes footage of you being patted down with towels <laughs> because wow because um, because you know people getting drenched and yeah. um so yeah you know we'd we'd shoot in between the showers but yeah you you'd get drenched it was you know whatever we got wet we got wet but we yeah. couldn't have you guys looking no. like you were wet yeah. um, maybe sweaty but not wet but yeah but uh, if, if you were saving anything you wanted um, a crane Right outside as well, didn't you? So they were, didn't panic. Obviously, can't say too much about the crane. That's one of the things we won't spoil. But um, well, it's a large wading bird. <laughs> <the largest one. laughs> so we wanted this heavy-duty crane on set to um, to hoist something up, yeah. to keep something aloft. And so this is all kind of like a learning experience. It really wasn't as simple as okay, I will hire a crane or book a crane. The first thing when you try and hire a crane is they go okay well tell us where you need it and we'll go along and do a land survey because we need to know that the land is stable enough for our crane to um to be on and so that was the first problem and it was just it was cost prohibitive it the amount of time to get it on it just we just couldn't work so we had to come up with an alternative which we'll talk about another time but um yes if you ever Need a crane? Think twice, because it's a hell of a lot more work. Or at least than, do um, your research. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was just one of those things that never occurred to me. I just thought, okay, yeah. well, because I had talked to um, well, some you never people. Know, like you say, to learn the experience. Yeah. It's the first time we're doing it, you might, you won't know until you do it the first time. So there you go. Um, I think even Nigel, he was going from <laughs> any time he went past a building site with someone with a crane, he went to talk <laughs> to them. <laughs> and, but essentially. The crane operators don't have anything to do with hiring cranes, so yeah, they, they, they literally operate. It. Yeah, the, that was kind of like a fruitless um, line of uh, inquiry, really. Despite the fact that we had the Phelps dressed as policemen, yeah, with a police car, yeah, which what we happened? So we were rehearsing the scene. In the scene, you get roughed up. Let's say, yeah. That's not strictly true, but basically, we the, were, the police come and there's an altercation between me and the police in the film. Yeah, and so we were rehearsing this, and where we're filming is quite quiet, and we deliberately picked a location that was 
fairly isolated. The owner of the property had let all the neighbours know what was going on. We did the rehearsal and we're getting ready to film. People were going to be, oh, Phil, the police are here. To put some context on this, I hadn't slept for 36 hours by the time we got on to set because it was just, you know, trying to get everything ready. And so I looked down the driveway and there was this police car at the end and I was like, oh yeah, the police are here. I didn't... I was like, oh yeah, okay, cool. (laughs) I just thought that they were driving by, seeing that there was a police car on the drive, saw a couple of people dressed as policemen just were interested to know what was going on. I walked down the drive saw because it was a there was a big bush at the end of you yeah. could only see literally one car at the end of the drive. I walked to the end of the drive. There were four police cars there. I didn't know this. And so they were getting out and because everyone was looking at me and I was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't call what's going on. And so they they said, Oh, we've had this phone call that this old man's been <laughs> beaten up at this address and I was I was like, Oh okay <laughs> Um and we'd done all the responsible things beforehand. Yeah. Um because you can't hire police cars and police uniforms without, without informing the local authorities know what you're up to, which is fair enough, and you know it's a good protocol. And so they had on record that what we were doing, but um, there were some missed lines of communication yes, there end. Yes. And missed lines of communication with the neighbours and yes, the person, yeah. mm-hmm. because it, like I said, it was in an isolated area. There aren't there weren't any local police stations. So these police cars had come 14, 15 minutes away, wow. and they were pissed. <laughs> when I was like, and I, you know, I gave them because you get uh, like a number from the police, That's it. And like a, some kind of source code, and they can check on it. Yeah, so I, I was gave gave them that, and um, so they were they were satisfied that everything was above board, but they were fuming that they were called out, and they were fuming yeah. that the people their end hadn't picked up that what was going on was this incident so yeah that was all good fun Uh, but I honestly thought that they'd just turned up, they'd just driven by and out of curiosity wanted to see why there was a police car on the drive as we mentioned earlier James and Oliver Phelps were really up for the idea of playing um, these colleagues, police colleagues rather than brothers and part of that was to transform the one of them so that they were fairly unrecognisable and I'd ordered these um prosthetic noses I ordered three just to see what worked and I ordered this moustache hair and what else glasses, glasses. We'd, we'd ordered a whole bunch of stuff um, and I'd, because there was so much going on I just left them to it to um, transform one of the guys and I have to say that neither one was too bothered they, the other one was quite happy to hand it over to the other one and yeah. say no no you, you have all the uh, you have all the kudos all the, the, all the gunk all over your face um, and so when I saw him like the moustache looked great and he had a beard I think maybe a bit of a goatee <laughs> this big prosthetic nose which we, we removed that instantly it just looks so bizarre do you remember it? No, not really. It's like these gaps down the side. Oh, it's like yeah. he had these um, third nostrils it, and fourth what, what, nostril. Gills. Nuts. Going to arrest you in like the bridge underwater. So, yeah, we um, removed the nose. In all honesty, I wasn't sure it was going to work with with just the moustache and the glasses. But we ended up putting some pictures online, yeah. some really great behind the scenes pictures, which were taken by Sean Strong, who did all the posters. Yeah. Big um, up to Sean. Nigel got a picture in the local paper, which was cool. I think we've talked about this before, maybe, but the the website that we've got, once those pictures went online, the website blew up. 
like, you know, yeah. we, we'd have moderate traffic every now and again, but there, there was just this massive influx. Because of lots of people that fans of Harry Potter. Yeah, so as it turned out, it came from all these Harry Potter fan forums yeah. and, and Facebook pages for Harry Potter and the Weasley twins. And there was these long discussions on these forums and these Facebook pages um, saying, well, I can see James, but where's Oliver? Wait, where's the other one? Yeah. Uh, Why have they only put one of them in? <laughs> so I was super chuffed about that because obviously if, if the fans exactly. of James and Oliver Phelps can't tell that one of them is James or Oliver Phelps, yeah. then, you know, nobody else is going to go, oh, he looks very similar to that guy. Yeah. So that was perfect. So big thanks to um, Tanya Ashworth and Sam Wilson who did all the makeup. Like they, they had a big yeah. day. Like they did all the makeup for for the majority of the film, yeah. but for on the most part they just had you to contend with. On that day they had a lot of things going on, especially trying to um, make the, the one guy unrecognisable. Well. Yeah. So big thanks to them. So yeah, I I don't know. I think that was it. That was a. It was. Um, Obviously, when you're dodging showers, your days are cut even shorter, but we we just about made it. Yeah, we did, yeah. It was an early morning, late finish, but mm. it was a good day, really good day. So, yeah, next time we'll talk about um, the pickup shots, I think, and the um, the reshoots that we moved yeah. on to. Yeah, normally with these episodes, we've been having a sort of a theme, haven't we? Um, yeah. With the first one, talking about like the the writing of the film, we talked about indie scripts that we liked. And, 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 when we, and Aussie, we did an Aussie That's right, feature. and when we were talking about the casting of the film, we yeah. talked about the best cast talk that we liked. Yeah. And we've also been adding reviews into the mix, but it's just so happened that this, this time around, we've got a, a lot of films that we wanted to review, so instead of a... A theme with, I guess, our theme is going to be reviews and recommendations. Reviews. Yeah. So, the first film that we're going to review, talk about, is Jordan Peele's follow up to his Oscar winning uh, film Get Out Us, which has been out for quite a while now. We're a bit late jumping on this one, but um, we did see it a while ago. Yeah, this is something we wanted to do, and um, I'm very glad we did it. There is so much going on in this film. Yeah, so just to give you a brief rundown. Okay, um, it's about a family's serene beach vacation which turns to chaos when their doppelgangers appear and begin to terrorise them. And as it turns out, it's it's with you know, spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about Yeah, I think I think it's fair to say this will be a spoiler filled review. So if you haven't seen it or if you're particularly averse to spoilers, sorry. Yeah. Do apologise. Switch back on in two minutes. Where we'll reveal everything. The doppelgangers that come back aren't the only doppelgangers, and as it's revealed, everybody in the US, mm-hmm. which is a nice twist on the us, mm-hmm. comes out and takes their time trying to find their opposites and kill them. Yep. So they can, in effect, take their place in the world mm-hmm. or in the US. I mean, it's very telling that one of the lines asked when uh, the doppelganger comes out, the doppelganger queen is. Um, well, her name's Red. They go, who are you? And they go, we are Americans. Yeah. So it's really telling. It's, but not in a, any kind of funny or cynical way. There's no. a very sincere reply. Yeah. Um, and the, there are so many things going on that you can take so much from it. I mean, the, the doppelgangers are dressed in red, which is synonymous with prisoners. Mm-hmm. So it could be how the middle class see the lower class in America. Red, specifically red jumpsuits. Red jumpsuits, yes. They all have scissors, which I think is a very 
metaphorical thing of cutting the ties that bind them. They, the scissors are their weapons that they used to kill the the people that lived on the top of the earth. These are like um, the Morlocks and the Eloi in the time machine. You get that definite sense. That yeah. Um, yeah, unlike Get Out, which definitely had sort of a, a racial uh, undertone to yeah. to the plot and the subplots, this one's very much about uh, class, as you say. Clash and social status. Yeah. yeah, definitely. It's a two-hour film, but it felt like an hour. Yeah. It flew. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely um, enjoyed so the hell out see. of it. Yeah. Their characters are all cleverly sculpted into being such a way, especially mm-hmm. the doppelgangers. Yeah. The only critique um, thing I have about it was Jordan Peele's uh, view of men in the film that came very much across like cavemen uh, almost I can, I can understand where he's coming from the women are the central role to this film and the, and the men especially the ones on the top of the earth as we'll call them the normal men all behave very childishly very um, adolescent yeah I think there were enough um, kind of superficial female characters for it not to be female versus male. Yeah. Like the the white um, wife was just the most superficial, yeah. and, their, and their daughters were just your typical valley girl bimbos. Yeah. There was nothing particularly Maybe intelligent that's about that. superficiality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the the characters did say, "Oh, I could have been." A basketball pro, or I could yeah. have been a dancer, mm-hmm. and maybe it is. Maybe it's an indictment also on the superficiality of middle class life, and because they live such a superficial life, they ignore the lower yeah. and underclasses. There is a, an overriding theme, I think, around identity as well. Yeah. Not just uh, you know status, but yeah. but certainly identity. When they are talking about things like facelifts and stuff that. And the, the fact that the youngest child wears a mask a lot of the time, both the doppelganger, they're both trying to be something else, either hide away or become something else. Yeah. Someone summed up this film perfectly, saying identity is the biggest illusion. There's a lot yeah. of identity, there's a lot about illusion. There's an awful lot of bunny rabbits, which of course is synonymous with magic and illusions. And Alice Down the Rabbit yes. Hole. Mm. Yeah. So many layers to this. So much good. Yeah, it, it's one of those films that's definitely worth a second look. It's a film with uh, conscience and consequences. It's great. It certainly is, yeah. Um, a lot of people didn't enjoy it, though. No, I know. Which was really, really weird. You said but, that as we were leaving, someone said they were going to try and get their money back. Yeah. They, um, maybe it's a Marmite horror, but I think this is a film that over time, not only will it have cult status, but I think... With a retrospective re- review from others, mm-hmm. they'll realise just how good it is. They're, they're, it's bare, it's trimmed of all fat, this film, yeah. and it's exactly what it is. Yeah, I, I wasn't a particularly big fan of Get Out. I didn't get the hype around that film. Uh, not that I thought it was a bad film, but uh, like I said, I didn't get the hype around it. And so I guess I possibly didn't have high expectations going into this one, yeah. but... Um, any misgivings I had were, were gone almost instantly. It was such a, a great film. We'd rate these things out of Kahuna Burgers. How many out of five? Out of five Kahuna Burgers, because of finding very little wrong with this, it's got to be a five for me. Yeah, five for me. I was pleasantly surprised to have loved this film because, like I said, yeah. I wasn't expecting much from it, to be honest. Five from me, five from you. Um, and if you have seen it, whether you liked it or not, let us know what you thought. Yeah. So, 
even though that was a, a low budget film, it still had a budget of I think twenty million. But going from twenty million to a film that was shot in six days on a three hundred dollar budget, uh, we're going to talk about Good Kids from director Douglas Rowland Two: Secret of the Ooze. Douglas Rowland the second, written by and starring Michael Ridley. It's about uh, this tight knit relationship between two adolescent brothers and it's put to the test when secrecy in family, family infidelity and the onslaught of adulthood threaten to tear them both apart mm-hmm. for me any film with a micro budget yeah. filmed in zero days I've got an instant interest and an instant admiration for, for those people so instant kudos to, to Doug who um, was very kindly give me a lot of info on this film. This is the world that we work in. Yeah. Um, you know, this this, this is, is proper, a, isn't it? This is, but this is where we come from. This is where we're at. So, anyone going, you know, doing doing the same thing, getting their film out there, huge admiration to you. And so, um, want to check this out. What did you think, Mike? Well, when you said it was shot for so little in so short a time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look it. That's the great thing about it. it yeah. The acting is excellent. I was I was very impressed. What I like about this film is how it deals with... It's not something you've seen in films, how people deal with big things like this and how they might react. Such as? Um, we're talking about the infidelity. Yeah, the infidelity and, and just coming across an affair mm-hmm. or how affairs are discovered and how do people deal with that. Yeah, there certainly wasn't... Um... A typical cliche story. I mean, mm. it, the way it unraveled and super impressive to have done it in that time. One of the things that I absolutely loved about it, I think Doug was the um, the cinematographer as well as the director. Yeah. And some of the the framing and blocking is just superb. You you watch some of the shots and just really really well done, top notch. Yeah, it's it's a great simplistic theme and it's a great family drama. Yeah, that's good to point out. Actually, it is, it is a family drama. Um, so you mentioned the acting. What um, so the, the person who wrote it is also the main yeah, actor Michael in Ridley. This. Yeah, he he emotes really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's really good. You can see the the internal struggle that's going on with him, and and all the different aspects. He's almost he's like the new man of the man of the family and he's just had all these things he's got to try and deal with and he makes mistakes along the way and he doesn't realise it but you go on this journey with him and you, you root for him as best you can yeah he's, he's acting as superb the writing is, is is excellent as well There's sometimes people have conversations about nothing mm-hmm. sometimes they have a bit of a deep conversation but everything about it comes across as a normal ordinary family dealing with issues it's, it's cleverly written and Nicely, really nicely acted. But he wasn't yeah. sort of overacted either, which would be very easy for yeah. this to do. And particularly when you've got a, such a short um, shooting schedule, it might take a few takes to get to where you want it to be, but to sort of get those performances spot on almost yeah. in that short period of time. Um, it's almost like he's told them not to act. Big props to Doug, because it's no mean feat to shoot and direct a, a film. I mean, one of those jobs is hard enough. So yeah, if you get the chance to check out Good Kids, you can check out on Prime and you can rent and buy uh, the download from various places. Check out Doug, Doug Rowland 2. Doug Rowland the 2nd. Doug Rowland the 2nd. I think his Instagram is Douglas underscore Rowland underscore II. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, check him out on Instagram. And he's got a YouTube series where he goes, I think it's with his brother, he's gone sailing and his family. If that's another area of interest, check out that series that he's got. But yes, good kids. How would you rate it? For low budget filmmaking, four Kahuna Burgers. If you're going to judge it as a film, yeah, yeah let's, let's say four. I think within the parameters, I don't think a $300 film in a six day period could really have been too much better so in that respect i'd have to say a five if you can check that out if you've got the the means to check it out please do and if you've got an, an indie film low budget film that you made that you'd like us to check out please uh, let us know we'll gladly take a look as much as we like to talk about the films that we've watched that we've interested in and found out about ourselves um, it's always great to have people recommend stuff to us or yeah. if they've made films of their own that they want us to check out we'll always uh, check them out and support them as best as we can um, very recently Maria Ellis of Bradgate Films got in touch via Twitter, that's the one and she said would you like to check out our film Ashes and we said yes of course yeah, I'd love to. Um, yeah it's, a, it's a film about a um, guy whose wife was killed in a in a fire, a devastating fire, which was caused by... Um, he's a teacher, sorry, let's go back to the gentleman whose wife was killed. He was a teacher, but his life has spiralled out of control. He drinks too heavily, and he's he's racked with guilt and anger. And he learns that uh, the young lad at the time who started the fire um, and was put away for arson, uh, he's out. He's just been released and has returned to his family home here in Scotland. And so this teacher decides to make this journey up to seek revenge for the death of his wife. But at the same time, this young man that's come out of prison is returning to a life that he doesn't recognise anymore. Mm-hmm. He wants no part of anymore. He's not the delinquent he used to be. And he himself is wrecked with guilt for what he did. Yeah. And it's about how these characters move on from this from this new life mm-hmm. uh, from the release and uh, that's what the ashes refers to not just obviously the fire mm-hmm. but the ashes of uh, their old lives it's a really nice film that for the most part runs sort of like two separate movies almost yeah, before it... before they meet and that's to me that was really nicely done the way that they balance those two storylines in completely different ways it was almost like you could have taken those two aspects put those scenes together and there were would have been different films the 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 one storyline had its style to the other one the guy who came out who was um sort of yeah like you said rediscovering his life or, or rediscovering what life is outside of prison that had a very different feel very, very different in terms yeah. of the editing, the cinematography, to the other person's it was, side it of the It was film. like order and chaos, mm-hmm. wasn't it? His life was very ordered, everything was set yeah. out. He would go certain places, meet certain people, rekindle relationships. Mm-hmm. Yet the, the what well, we might call him the main protagonist, mm-hmm. um, the teacher, his life was a jumble of uh, flashbacks yeah. and and forward flashes of what he might do or where he was you weren't quite sure where he was yeah. if you were watching things that were occurring at that moment mm-hmm. or if you were watching a flashback and 
every now and again you would see him swig from the bottle so yeah it's almost like you were drinking from the same bottle and Mm. being affected in the same way he was yeah that side of it was really nicely edited that's not a an easy thing to do to portray those kind of emotions and feelings in that way and it seemed coherent in the way that's incoherent if that makes sense there's a great skill to pulling that together and so yeah i really enjoyed and appreciated that One thing I noticed about this film as well, um, unlike what you might see in other films, was the way it stepped back from the violence. Any particular violent scenes in there, they were either alluded to, seen in flashback, or they were from a distance. It was as if, it, it was definitely the film saying this isn't about these particular actions, it's about how these characters get to these positions to perform this violence what has led them there. This is very character-driven, um, a very character-driven film. Always nice to um, get a British film into the mix. Kahuna Burgers? Kahuna Burgers for me, um, on this one, it's got lots of things going for it, so I'd give it a four out of five Kahuna Burgers. Yeah, I think I'd agree. One of the, the standout things for me was the editing in that film. Yeah. Um, not to take anything away from anything else, it was all really good, but such a good, you know, like we said, nice. just juxtaposition of two kind of mindsets really you know coming out into this new life with your old friends almost sort of a new life with old figures and then this person dealing with the grief and the still within his own yeah prison his own self-contained mindset prison ashes bradgate films that's production that's it yeah bradgate films bradgate productions on twitter so when Maria sent uh, the film over and a bit of information about the film, we also sent a link to the electronic press kit, in which um, I noticed that both her and the film's writer-director, Alan Coulson, yeah. was involved in a short film about ten years ago called Gone Fishing, which made a big splash. Oh, nice. Pun, nice, in, pun intended. So I believe it was long-listed for, a, for an Oscar way back in the day, and I remember a lot of acclaim around this film and it being a, a big kind of um, short film but I never had the opportunity or good fortune to see it and um, Mm. Maria Ellis she was kind enough to um, in addition to sending her film Ashes sent us a a copy of Gone Fishing as well for us to check out so well it's um, directed and written by Chris Jones Chris Jones I'll point out is is the Chris Jones of the Guerrilla Filmmakers Handbook oh and the Guerrilla Filmmakers Blueprint um, it's that Chris Jones, nice. which is which is really why I was aware of it. Um, and for anyone who hasn't checked out the Guerrilla Filmmakers Handbook or Blueprint, which I've got a copy of both, they were both instrumental in uh, planning Home West Enemy. <laughs> um, great resources so to have. Filmmakers. Um, so yes, if you get the chance, not you know most stuff's online these days, but they were back before there was so much information online those books are a godsend so yeah very aware of Chris Jones I think everyone's very appreciative of all he's done to kind of help filmmakers um, so yeah this is one of his short films that he made 10 years ago yeah he, um, he made it with a fantastic cast there's um, Bill Patterson, Devin Murray, James Wilson Alison Stedman it's, it's, it's such a nice little film uh, it's about It's about the story of a boy and an old man coming to terms with bereavement through their shared love of fishing and the legend of Goliath, the biggest fish ever caught, although it's never actually seen. Mm -hmm. It's it's alluded to. It's great. Um, Because it deals with 
bereavement. There, there are moments of sentimentality in it, but they're just moments in a really, really nice, compact story um, dealing with this old man telling a young lad about the story of how he once, when he was a lad, caught this monster fish and the epic journey and and things he had to do to create it. I mean, it, it's it's straight out of the imagination. It, it's, it's almost like it influenced... Um, uh, big fish with made by um, Burton. Tim Burton. Uh, there's hints of great imagination in there. The, the the journey he went on to create bigger and better things to get this legendary fish. And right at the end, um, there's this nice little moment where the young lad says, "Well, do fish go to heaven as well?" And he goes, "Well, I'm not quite sure." But then at the end. You see this little bubble of water and this bird disappear under the water as the fish swallows it. You realise that maybe they do and heaven is a place where people have gone fishing. And and it, it's it's like it puts a happy twist on bereavement and it's really, really feel good. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really nice film. Yeah, and from a, a filmmaking perspective, it's just masterfully done really it's, it's brilliant uh, it's not your your typical short flung on youtube no. done by a handful of people this is this is a top notch production nice good, effects good nice production values yeah um, um, for a very nice very british mm-hmm, story absolutely yeah see so yeah, that's the only short we've got to throw in the mix always nice to get some shorts in there so yeah, um, again, thank you to Maria for seeing that. Also, it's been a you know one on the list that I've been wanting to check out for a while. So it's great to finally be able to see that. Yeah. Um, and again, if yeah, if um, if you do want to see what you can do with the likes of the uh, the Guerrilla Filmmakers Handbook, there you go. Then we can make out. a film like this. How many gooners on that one? Uh, for me, again. Uh, because I'm not a fan of fishing, but I do like the <laughs> sen- uh, I do like where the story would be, yeah. without trying to make it sentimental. Four out of five Kahuna burgers again. Yeah, I think four out of five for me. Um, yeah, it's just a, a really well-made, very yeah. nice very British tight. film. Yeah, yeah, really good. Uh, yeah, tight as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, sometimes even though shorts are short, sometimes they can feel like a bit of a slog. Yeah. Um, certainly was flew by a nice zippy little short film great stuff and the final film is one that was sent to us I think via Instagram or I might have shown some interest in it via Instagram Um, but uh, Robert Herrera the writer director very kindly sent us a link to the film to check out Palacios Palacios I think yeah Palacios I think it's going to be a common theme that we can't pronounce this film apologies if we pronounce Palacios We'll go with Palacios. We won't, we won't mention it beyond this point. It's actually uh, only mentioned twice in the film. It is, yeah. Um, so we should have, should have picked up what it was called. But anyway, Mike. The film Palacios is about a widowed woman who um, lives on the, these, this, the top of this block of flats and an inner city team who spends the 4th of July holiday together. It's uh, another American film and they create an unlikely bond that forces them to stop ignoring the circumstances that place them there together and just enjoy life with each other. First thing to note, much like Almost Enemy, there's 
essentially one central location to this and also there's two just two cast members one person does appear later on but essentially there's two main cast members yeah you know there's three technically okay but there's a yes a dog a dog dog. it is quite a character but it's it's no mean feat to create a film around two people um and sometimes those sorts of films can be very talky and quite boring and not not very visual there's nothing like that in this one it's very engaging very visually stunning to to look at again it's it's in the same sort of vein as good kids it's almost like that we're not watching actors here they're almost like non-actors and and just dealing with life these are two people that just happen to meet under certain uh, you know just unusual circumstances Mm -hmm. and from that they have a relationship that blossoms so much within almost like a 24 hour period yes it is a sort of it's like a um, almost a, a Richard Linklater kind of yeah. movie there's so much three dimensional work gone into these characters um, they say, they almost say very little mm-hmm. or they talk about very little they'll talk about the weather or they'll talk about are you going to watch fireworks on the 4th of July or I like this bike uh, but he, right down to the dog, all three of them have got such full characters and such full history, mm-hmm. which is alluded to uh, quite a few times. You, you learn about the woman, uh, the woman played by Lily Bibb, um, how how she got to the where, where she is, and when she refers to her history of how she ended up where she is. What's distinctive about this film as well? It's black and white. Yeah, um, which um, it sometimes is in low budget filmmaking is a bit of a cop out yeah. but um, it certainly enhances this film no end it's, yeah. uh, it, if ever there was a low budget film to be in black and white it's this one the main characters one's black one's white yeah. there's the, the whole sense of these characters are not black and white characters yeah. you know there's nothing black and white about their circumstances maybe on the top um, but certainly underneath as you say as you get to know them yeah. they are multi-layered there's this wonderful scene with the young lad standing on the rooftop with his arms um, uh, akimbo and you've got the fireworks going off and it's a beautiful looking shot but of course there's no colour to the fireworks so the fireworks don't become the distraction Mm -hmm. it's the frame itself and everything that's within it that becomes your focus and like you say there is a strange sort of juxtaposition or almost ironical juxtaposition Mm -hmm. no colour in the fireworks being shot yeah, it's a very easy film to watch. It's a very nice film. Yeah, pretty short as well, just just under 80 minutes. Um, worth checking out. Kudos to all involved in that film. Uh, thank you, Robert Herrera, for sending that through. He produced, directed, writ uh, the film. Also, I mean, the, the cinematography was great. David Rocco, no idea what else he's done, but um, certainly worth checking out. Um, seems like a small production i think robert also edited it as well we like that kind of thing a nice tight-knit group of people making a great film and and this is it is obviously low budget but there's nothing overtly low budget about it there's nothing negatively low low budget it's uh it's a really good film i don't think it's a sort of film where even if you had a million dollars it wouldn't be any better no kahuna burgers kahuna burgers for me again it's um it's a four out of five kahuna burgers for me mainly because again it's not my sort of thing it is almost like a family drama again um so yeah this is a four out of five kahuna burger for me this is a four out of five for me as well um 
really well written, directed, acted, edited, really well shot. Um, yeah, I mean, I get okay. So I guess we should justify why it's not a five. It's not a five because the fact we can't play it Palacios. That's true. Okay, we'll, we'll minus that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's um, it's really good, worth checking out. So that's um, I believe it's on Prime. If not, check out the Palacios Twitter and Instagram account. Check out Robert T Herrera. That's it, Mike. I think yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, great. So thanks for joining us. If you've enjoyed this podcast, where can they find previous episodes or future episodes, Michael? They can find them on iTunes. They can find them on SoundCloud, Spotify, and YouTube. Just search Indie Filmopolis. That's I N D I E. P-H-I-L-M-O-P-O-L-I-S And our socials? You can find them at Indie Filmopolis on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Facebook and Instagram, it's Indie Filmopolis. And on Twitter, it's just Filmopolis. You can also find links to our film Own Worst Enemy on the Own Worst Enemy movie.com page and also on Twitter and Facebook. And for yourself, young man... Philip Pugh, also known as forward slash filmmaker, that's P-H-I-L-M, maker on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, there might be an underscore in there. You'll find me. Philip Pugh, filmmaker, you'll find me. Thanks uh, for joining us. Hope you enjoyed the reviews and our insight into our low-budget film. Thanks for joining us. We're now off to kill our doppelgangers before they kill us. I'll grab the scissors. Fantastic.